Hello, I'm Emily. I'm Jennifer. And this is All Things Terror, a research podcast where we find terrifying tales from science, history, and true crime. And we tell them to you, and you get scared. Yeah, that sums it up. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Last week, you, unless you skipped it, uh, I guess, if you're listening out of order, go for it. Um, So last week, Jennifer, uh, you told us about the mystery of the Sodder children, and we told you, the audience members, that we had actually recorded this before, and then uh, my computer crashed for some uh, reason, and we lost that episode. And at the end of that lost episode, you said, this story reminds me of that movie, Three Billboards Outside Ebby, Missouri. And I said, ooh, girl, you don't know that story. And you said no. And I said, we will uncover it. I Probably not in those exact words, right? We don't sound that cool when we talk. Uh, Ooh, girl, we will uncover it. If that's the height of coolness, then... You will host the next craft night. I'm just saying that we're not we're not even cool that even that very lame statement is cooler than us. Yeah. <laughs> Clint is very happy and green. Yes. Right now. He's probably just trying to like figure out can I loop that statement several times? Can that just be we're the whole episode? Cool. We're not cool. <laughs> yeah. That <laughs> I feel like on Christmas, we're going to get a text message from Clint that's going to be like, Merry Christmas. We're going to be like, oh, how sweet. And then we're going to see there's an attachment. And that's what it's going to be is the loop of you just being like, we're not cool. We're not cool. Whatever. (laughs) So uh, this podcast, I am going to tell you about the true story that inspired uh martin madonna to write and direct the movie three billboards outside ebby missouri um and a couple things right off the bat first um this story after the movie came out and particularly when Frances mcdermott won her well-deserved oscar uh for that performance uh this story did get picked up by quite a few podcasts including my favorite murder in southern fried true crime and for research, in addition to reading other articles, I also listened to these two. And I really purposely left out some very interesting things that they keep in there and also found something that they don't talk about. Um, so if you've heard those ones or if you're just listening to us, which, first of all, thank you, that's very flattering. Uh, but I just want you to know that you could listen to all three of them and the stories would be interesting enough and you could absolutely get something out of all of them. So, um, yeah. So the movie three billboards outside Abbey, Missouri, um, is based in this really small town. And this woman, uh, played by Frances McDermott, uh, her, before the movie starts, her daughter has been murdered and it's not solved. And so she buys these billboards that are like, uh, very sassy. Um, one of them says raped while dying. Another one says still no arrests. And the third one says, how come chief Willoughby? And then the whole movie is sort of about this, um, standoff between her and the police force. And it's really great. Uh, I love that movie. Have you seen it? I have not seen it. It has been, oh, you would love it. It's been on my watch list forever, but I'm going to lie any, or I'm not going to lie, like, any movie that deals with the subject of rape or television show that deals with the subject of rape, it's like, I have to get in a mental space to watch that stuff. That's fair. I will say, like, there isn't anything about that except that they say that she is raped. Uh, There, it's, it has this really kind of darkly funny parts that I think you would like. Um, and Frances McDermott is just this, like, really angry, like, take-no-shit woman that I think you would love. I already love her. Yeah, she's incredible. Um, the other thing I will also say off the bat, because I think I'll forget, it's not really related to how we're telling this story, but 
Um, when I was doing research, I came across this really interesting Fox article about the movie, and it talks about it's it has spoilers in it. So Jennifer, maybe you don't read it right away, but um, it talks about the movie's connections to the novelist or the writer, not really a novelist, Flannery O'Connor, and it also talks about how the movie deals with race, which is it's a really just a really interesting thought-provoking read so i wanted to throw that out there um the author is Alyssa wilkinson and i'll also put that in the show notes so you can check that out if you're interested and another thing one of my favorite podcasts is called the trail went cold um i listen to it when i fall asleep which sounds really weird but he is this canadian who just recounts these unsolved stories and he finds the craziest, most interesting stories. And he just seems really nice. And he has a way of talking about these things that isn't gross and brutal, but also isn't like leaving stuff out. If that makes sense. Oh, cool. Um, I love him. And I swear to God, he did an episode on this. Like I can hear his voice talking about the car but I just could not find it. And I've like scrolled through the episodes. I have Googled. Um, this also had an Unsolved Mysteries episode. And a lot of the Trail Went Cold episodes are based on Unsolved Mysteries. So if anyone wants to help me and figure out why I have this weird fake memory, I would love that. I mean, maybe this is like a Mandela effect, but it only involves me. Um, <laughs> Already. We already have the thing that you dreamed up Clint doing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's actually a good point. Maybe I had a dream about him doing this story. That would make sense. Um, for listeners who don't know, or Clint cut this out, I dream... So if we take a pause, like Jennifer's Googling something, I will like sing little elevator music and the first time I did it I sang it and I was like haha Clint now you'll cut this out here's some music or maybe you'll leave it in and I had a dream that he put it on after our theme music like he often does for a little easter egg but I don't think he's done that and so I think I just dreamed it um and this is uh, I will say I don't know if this is an overshare but it's happening um <laughs> Uh, it is a side effect of the antidepressants I'm on that uh, sometimes I have a hard time distinguishing memories that are if it's a memory of a real life thing or if it's a memory of a dream. So it's very possible that this is what is happening. Dream memories. Yeah. Also, if you want to know how I learned to distinguish between those, uh, this I did this before the well, no, it was after Inception. But I realized that Inception is right. There's a part in that movie where Leonardo DiCaprio says to Ellen Page, like, how can you tell this is a dream? Do you remember how we got here? And she was like, uh, yeah, we... And then she's like, no, I didn't. And he's like, yeah, exactly. And that's actually true. That's, like, one of the ways that I checked how to, like, do I remember what happened right before, right after? And if the answer is no, it's probably a dream. So. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Um... Enough about me, although I could talk about me forever. So, we're going back. Uh, I've talked all about this movie. Um, what my story is today and the connection to the Sauter children will become clear is that I'm going to tell you the murder that inspired a father, not a mother, to put real billboards up outside of a small town and that Martin McDonough saw and that inspired him to make that movie. Uh, so, uh, Martin McDonough, his deal, he was traveling by Greyhound on the U.S., or traveling the U.S. by Greyhound. Uh, if you can't tell from his name, Mike Martin McDonough, he's Irish. I don't know why on earth this Irish dude is like, yeah, Greyhound seemed like a logical choice. Um, he didn't know any better. Leave him alone. He did. He didn't know any better. Yeah, I mean, my God, he's like, <laughs> how much, how much piss can one person smell? <laughs> uh, but so while he was doing this, he passed by um, uh, these billboards uh, in a small town in East Texas, 
And he said, quote, it was this raging, painful message calling out the cops about a crime. The title came from the concept, and the concept came from that image, which stayed in my mind for years. What kind of pain would lead somebody to do that? It takes a lot of guts and a lot of anger. He said, I was never able to find out what or where it was, but I decided it must have been a mother. Uh, the original three billboards, which went up in, I believe, 1991, um, said fighter police botched up the case. Another one said waiting for confession. And the last one said this could happen to you. So here is the story. Um, so we're going to 1991 in East Texas, specifically a really small town called Vider. Uh, which is interestingly only six miles east of Beaumont. And I say interestingly, even though I said that I was going to stop talking about myself, because, Jennifer, when I drove from Baton Rouge to uh, Austin to come and see you, I 100% drove through Beaumont and 100% drove through Vider on the I-10, which is where these billboards are to this day. Oh, interesting, yeah. I have no memory of them. <laughs> you di didn't even register, huh? No, I will say I remember seeing signs for Rose City and Beaumont, and I know I've stopped at least once to, like, eat in that area. There are a lot of weird abortion billboards in the South, so you kind of just tune them out. Um, but there is a more recent one, and I didn't write this slogan down, but there is a more recent one about cops taking a bribe. And that sounded a little familiar, so I might have seen that and just gone like, oh, don't want to know whatever Texas is getting up to. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> yeah, so we're in East Texas. Vider is a really small town. Um, I think currently it has around like 12,000 people, but this murder that we're looking at takes place in 1991. So the woman that we're looking at, her name is Kathy Page. Uh, in 1991, she's 35. And I've seen that her and her husband have been married for about 12 or 13 years. Uh, Southern Fried True Crime says that Kathy was 21 when they married. She's just a little wee baby. Yeah. How dumb were you when you were 21, Jennifer? Uh, like, like 50% dumb. Only 50%? I mean, I have a big ego, so... <laughs> I don't actually, so, I mean, I was pretty fucking stupid, like, in my 20s, like everybody is, right? Yeah, I mean, I think everyone who's under 25 is probably, like, at least 72% dumb. That's fair. I think that's a good number. Yeah. Yeah, just, like, ask a, like, 19 or 20-year-old about their opinion on some news event, and one, they probably won't have heard of it. And two, if they do give you an opinion, you will immediately regret that you asked them about it. <laughs> but anyway, so Southern Fried True Crime says Kathy was 21 and Steve was 22. Um, she was already pregnant with his kid and he was only divorced three months. So, oh, scandalous. D they didn't waste any time. No, I mean, yeah, so, and by all accounts, it they were really happy at first and it worked out. But when we fast forward to 1991, again, Kathy's 35, things have changed. Um, they have two daughters, but they're both very unhappy. And by everyone's account, their marriage is done. And that, by everyone's account, is a really good thing to keep in mind. Because, as I said, this is a really small town. And both Kathy and Steve had big extended families in the area. And big extended families that are still in the area who got really involved in this case. And so, and my favorite murder, Georgia describes it as like, people are on one side or the other, but everyone agrees that like the cops fucked up, which is very much a Sodder family situation. Yeah. Uh, um, so according to Kathy's sister and her family, um, Steve had been sleeping on the couch for a while and had, like, been abusive with her. Um, her sister, Sherry, uh, testified, quote, that during arguments, Steve would grab or push Kathy. Steve denied ever physically abusing his wife. Um, Steve's brother said he didn't abuse her. Um, their daughters said, oh, I never saw them argue. 
I never saw one of her daughters said I never saw him sleeping on the couch. Another daughter, though, said that her and her mom shared a bedroom. I don't think it's terribly unusual that children might not see parents fight, like, yeah. especially the sleeping on the couch thing. Like, it would be totally normal to say, like, oh, wait until the kids go to bed and then go down, sleep on the couch or whatever. Um, and their oldest was only 11, so whatever. But however else you spin this, undisputedly, two days before shit went down on may 12th steve has just moved out and despite all these things they're still parents and one of the sad things maybe i don't know i think it was kind of sad was that it sounded like they could have possibly been good co-parents which isn't the same thing right like some people get divorced and aren't good at being divorced parents but it almost sounds like these people might have been good co-parents if shit hadn't turned out the way it did right and the reason i say that is that they're at a game i think it was a baseball game for one of their daughters i could be misremembering that um and so they're there together they you know steve drops the kids off and then he leaves later that night kathy is oh my god i wrote fixin to go out for some (laughs) she's fixin to go out y'all um Whatever that's about. Rubbing off on you. Uh, I will say that um, I don't think I have a southern accent. I've said before, if you have trouble telling me and Jennifer apart, she, like, I sound a little bit more Midwestern and you sound a little bit more southern. But, like, when I'm trying to be, like, extra polite or, like, extra silly with strangers, I'll definitely, like, put it on a little bit more. And every once in a while, my students will be like, where are you from? And I'll be like, oh, well, here. And then I work there. And they'll be like, yeah, Louisiana makes sense. So who knows? Maybe my southernness will come out. Oh, I hope so. I want to make fun of you. I do say y'all, but that's because y'all is the best word ever. It makes sense. And I don't know why more people don't say it. Yeah. I mean, y'all is taking over, so. This is my like, of all the reasons why you can like y'all, and there's a lot, this is my favorite. Let's say I go into a small shop, and there's a person who's working there, and I'm, like, looking for, I don't know, like, black shoes. And the salesperson is like, can I help you? And I can say, do y'all have black shoes? Instead of saying, do you specifically have black shoes? Or, which is weird, I don't give a shit if she does, I want to know if the store does. Or two, do you carry black shoes here? Which sounds oddly formal and like I'm about to be like, well, would you like to buy my black shoes? (laughs) So why aren't you trying to sell your black shoes to the store? I don't understand. I'm just, I just don't have that salesman gusto. I don't feel like I'm very shy, but every once in a while, like, a salesperson will just make me feel like I'm five years old. Like, they're not mean. They're just, like, aggressively polite. And I'm like, please pretend you can't see me. Say something rude so I can dismiss you. Just, just. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so anyways. So anyway, so Kathy is fixing to go out and she's like, oh, shit, I need someone to watch my sleeping chinchillas. So she calls Steve and she's like, hey, I'm going out with my friend Charlotte. Can you, like, you know, just come over and watch TV in case the kids wake up? And he's like, yeah, sure. And according to Steve, I'm going to tell you a little a little anecdote. And this is according to Steve. Uh, Kathy, he gets there, and Kathy, like, greets him in a towel. Like, she's got out of the shower. She's like, oh, hi. Haven't had time to put on my pants. <laughs> and he's He's like, hey, you want to put on some pants, put on some man pants. (laughs) Worst pickup line ever. Gusting analogy. Yeah. (laughs) And she's like, yeah, sure. So they put on man pants. They put on man pants on the spot of carpet in the living room where Steve has also later testified and told people that she liked to shave her legs what in the living room uh, okay 
I mean, like, you totally do a super normal thing. You shave your legs over carpet in the living room, right? Instead of in the wet shower, which is where everyone shaves and where that makes sense, right? Um, I don't believe that at all. Just You just like to, like, crane your leg up and, like, have your vagina, like, sitting on some carpet as you dry shave in the living room, right? A super normal thing. (laughs) No, that sounds like somebody trying to... That's like someone who's never shaved trying to make up a story about how they were shaving. Yeah, and make up a story about how, why maybe there's blood on the carpet, right? Oh, great. Yeah, so that's according to Steve. Uh, and Deep Fried True Crime, uh, this was the first episode that I listened to, but I'm a fan now, uh, because she would like, she tells the story all great, and she's she's like, I'd like to, I'd like you to keep that one in your back pocket. <laughs> and I was so, keep that one in your back pocket. So, that's according to Steve. So, then reality, we'll switch back to this. Um, Kathy is going out, but she's not going out to see her friend Charlotte. She does talk to Charlotte, though, and Charlotte testifies that Kathy pulled this classic teenage move which is cover for me, because I'm going to go meet a boy. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. So she had a um, boyfriend, and she's going to a hotel to see him. Um, and so when Kathy, Charlotte says that, um, Kathy called her around 9.30 or 10, and she said, hey, by the way, like, even though this is the first time I asked you to do this, just for the record, like, um, don't answer your phone around midnight because I think Steve will try to check up on me. And this is in, it's 1991, so we're talking about landlines. Um, and so if she answers it, Steve knows she's not out, right? Nowadays we'd be like, who cares if you answer your phone? Right. But, so Charlotte knows that she's meeting a man and she's like, yeah, of course I'll cover for you. I'm not going to answer my phone at midnight. What am I nuts? I'm going to be asleep. Reasonable. So, Right. Moving chronologically, um, the next thing that happens, and this is, again, testimony, um, Charlotte said that her phone rings around 2.30, and she just picks it up, and the caller hangs up without saying anything, uh, which is weird, uh, and this is one of our connections to your Sauter family, right? We get a weird hang-up call. Yeah. Uh, Charlotte says that she's gotten hang-up calls before, and she's always assumed it was Steve. Um, next, uh, the, I will say Kathy's boyfriend, by the way, um, is not named in anything. It's really interesting. Like he cooperates with police. Um, I mean, we know Kathy gets murdered, so he does a polygraph. Um, there's other evidence that I'm going to talk about later that rules him out as the murderer, but he's never named, which is really interesting. Um, so, but he says that Kathy also left the hotel around 2.30 as well. The next thing that happens is at 4.30, and this is where we start getting into some very upsetting things. So about 100 yards from their house, Kathy is found in her car that had been rolled nose forward into a ditch. Now, I want to highlight that phrase, rolled nose forward into a ditch, because um, cops, when cops show up, they find out, they, like, say right away that it looks staged. Like, you know, if you are, like, about to swerve off the road or anything, you are going to hit your brakes or jerk the steering wheel, and there's going to be, like, signs on your, of your tires on the road. Right. What is the fucking word that I can't think of? What word are you trying to summon in your brain? Tire tracks. (laughs) (laughs) I wish you could see the way I was like (laughs) shaking my hand and then I just like clicked. I was like, yes, tire tracks. Yeah, so there there was none of that or skid marks or anything. There's none of that. There's like barely any damage to the car. So they're like, this couldn't have been going very fast at all. Um, If at all. If at all, yeah. She doesn't have her seatbelt on. Um, There's, like, stuff in the car, but it's not, like, fucked up. Like, 
I, I assume you've been in a car accident. Like, if yes. you have shoes in the back of your car and you get in an accident, they're going to get thrown around. Like, all signs indicate that the car was not moving fast. Additionally, like, right away, the investigators can tell that something else is weird. Um, Sherry's nose, or Sherry, Sherry is the sister. Kathy's nose has been broken, um, and she's been strangled. Uh, they later also find out that someone has been strangled. She'd been strangled with her, with someone's left hand. Um, and they find blood stains on her underwear and her skin, but none on her outside clothing, like pants or whatever. Mm. She isn't wearing socks, but she's wearing like shoes that you would reasonably wear socks with. And one of my sources said that her feet weren't near the pedals, which they would be if you were driving. Yes. Obviously. Um, she... Yeah, she also had no makeup or jewelry on, uh, but her boyfriend said she did have it on when she left. Huh. Now, I'm going to start telling you some more of these things, like why these are suspicious. Uh, they also found a blade of grass, or some, uh, I, one thing said a blade of grass on the back of her leg, another thing said grass stains, um, but somehow there's grass on her legs somehow. Got it. So, the next thing they do, they walk up to Steve's house, and he opens the door, and before they say anything, he's like, Kathy's not here. Is this about Kathy? And they're like, whoa, dude, chill out, but also yes. <laughs> and um, the cop who, like, did this, and I didn't write his name down. At first it was an accident, and then I was going to go back and fix it, but then I decided not to for a specific reason. A couple sources have said, like, oh, he, like, the cops knew this guy, and they helped him out of it. And I read the testimony, and this guy seems suspicious as fuck about Steve. And this testimony that I keep referring to, first of all, don't get too excited about it. But second of all, it's really easy to find. So, like, if you want to find his name, you can. But I was like, you know what, I'm going to leave his name out, because he actually seems like... He did some bad stuff, but also maybe he didn't know. And the bad stuff, he, like, so, he does know Steve, but, again, it's a small town, like... Everybody knows everybody. Yeah, I grew up in this town that had 20,000 people, and, like, it, people have been like, do you know this person? And I'm like, yeah, we went to high school together. Like, I saw them in a bar, or, like, you know, we went to a party once together or something. Like, I would say, yes, I know that person. It doesn't mean that I'm friends or that I think they're great or anything. <laughs> So the fact that this cop knows this guy, I don't think he immediately is like this conspiracy. But here's what he does that's fucked up. He tells Steve right away that Kathy has been strangled. Oh, great. Yeah. So instead of being like, hey, what do you know? Like, we have some bad news. He's like, yeah, we she's been strangled and they staged it to like a car accident. Can we come in and look around the house? And Steve says no. Of course. And they don't secure the crime scene. They don't secure the house. They don't get a search warrant for the house for three years. Excuse me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, the cops get to where Kathy's car is at 425 in the morning. And the cop says he spends, like, about 15 minutes there. And then he goes and talks to Steve and talks with him for about another 15 minutes, which... Puts him at, like, he leaves the house, Steve's alone, right before 5 o'clock, right? 4.55, if you don't like math. Charlotte says that between 5.30 and 6, she gets another call, and this time it's from Steve asking where Kathy is. And Charlotte's like, I have no idea. But the reason why that's suspicious is because by this time he would have known that she was dead. So it feels very much like he's trying to set up some kind of alibi there. And Charlotte is like, I'm not buying this. Mm -hmm. The other thing, remember how I said that Kathy was strangled and it was someone used their left hand? Yes. So there's a bunch of interesting testimony and it's very conflicting, which I find even more interesting. Some people say, oh, I've seen Steve write with his left hand. And people say, I've never seen him write with his left hand. Or I saw him do this with his both hands or 
just this or just that. So it seems like there's a suggestion that Steve was ambidextrous or at the very least, I mean, definitely strong enough to strangle someone, but it does seem like he has some dexterity and strength with his left hand that like, say, I don't. Do you? The other th- Are you sure, Emily? Do I? <laughs> Maybe I've been faking my jealousy over your ambidextrousness all this time. I think you're just trying to set me up now. Like, I'm definitely not someone who can use both hands. Unlike you, Jennifer, someone who can use both hands. It would be a very, very good long con if I hid my ambidextrousness all the time but I had all these conversations with you recorded for the public talking about how you are ambidextrous and I'm jealous. And then there's a murder that I could have committed or you could have committed, but I do it with my left hand and everyone knows I can't use my left hand for anything. (laughs) Jennifer must have done it. Well, now we all know. Yeah. We just wrote like a really great mystery novel. Tana French. Here you go. (laughs) We just want credit. Uh, That's it. Yeah, and for you to write another book. Um, Please. Yes, I love all your books so much. Uh, I was about to talk about Tana French, but I'm going to get back on track. You're welcome, Clint and America. So, remember how I said that she didn't have any makeup or jewelry on, but she, her boyfriend said, yeah, I think she had it on. So, Sherry, Kathy's sister, testified that uh, for some reason I cannot keep the name Sherry and Kathy apart uh, but Kathy's routine before bed was to take off all her jewelry all her makeup pull her hair up and shower right and so to quote Southern Fried True Crime again put that in your back pocket we'll return to this the idea too of the blood being on her body and her underwear but not the outside and the grass being outside is that she was dressed and then like laid on the grass and then put in the car and the car was rolled into the ditch. So moving along, this is all very suspicious or whatever. Uh, Her poor daughters have to testify in front of a grand jury the day before their mother's funeral. Uh, A huge bummer. Yep. Uh, at the funeral... Oh, shit. I forgot to say one other thing the cop said that is everyone's favorite detail. So, after the cop tells Steve that his wife has been strangled and staged to look like she got in the world's slowest car accident. (laughs) He says that Steve, like, threw himself on the couch and was all like, oh, no, crying. But... The cop, like, shined his flashlight on him, and he's like, yeah, there were no tears, though. Mm. So, like, and My Favorite Murder has an interesting discussion about this, of, like, sometimes people go into shock, and sometimes shock looks different. Like, people could laugh or just go blank or, you know, act aggressively normal or whatever, but having, like, a super dramatic meltdown without tears feels like you're pretending your meltdown yeah or you're like a sociopath yeah but like it's not even like he just started hysterically screaming it was like he was crying but there weren't tears that's so crazy and also really uncomfortable that makes me uncomfortable yeah it makes me feel really icky I don't like it. The idea of watching someone cry without tears makes me... I mean, not that I'm comfortable when people cry, but... (laughs) But, like, the idea of someone crying without tears feels very, like, uncanny valley or something. It gives me the creep shivers. At the funeral, the day after the poor daughters have to testify, um, Steve calls Kathy's body it, which everyone points out as weird, but... Have you seen a dead body? Like, they don't look like a person. Like, I kind of get that. I'm like, that's not my loved one. They're in heaven or whatever. This is just a vessel. Eh. But he still does more, like, fake crying. Um, Later, the family, Kathy's family, hires a private investigator because they're like, 
shit keeps happening to her grave and they see Steve like go up and kick like violently kick the flowers and like bend down to like scratch it into the grave like he's very angry and weird um there's other weird things that happen in this time like he has a lot of really weird inconsistent lies like things that just don't make sense to lie about like he tells her family members that she was using drugs and then everyone's like yeah she was using cocaine and then everyone's like whoa i didn't know that i don't think so and then he's like oh no i guess i just heard rumors about it and then i repeated the rumors and people are like what rumors and also Um, what the fuck is wrong with you yeah and also like cocaine again makes you have the world's slowest car accident (laughs) Uh, right like it just it's it's just stuff that's like so stupidly weird um her family members testify that when they go over the house, uh, they see him cleaning the sex spot on the carpet. He rents, like, a thing to wash the carpet. One time, th- someone goes over and he has all these little fans drying it out. And he's like, oh, I spilled grease. Like, I was cooking fish and was carrying a container of fish grease over the carpet in my living room. Why? Why were you doing that? Nobody does that. Because it- Apparently, this family picks a spot of carpet in the living room, and that is where you do all of your activities. <laughs> you have sex there. You carry fish grease. You, yeah, you you transport fish grease. You know, you do your homework. You know what else you do? Something that Kathy's family testified seeing Steve do. One time, they went over, and he had done a, like the day that they find out that Kathy's dead. He did, like, weird laundry and, like, laid it all over to dry, even though they have an indoor hanging line. What? Yeah, like, it's just weird things. And then later, he, like, cuts out that patch of carpet and burns it. And he's like, well, I couldn't get the grease out. Mm Mm-hmm. And then his family all says, like, no, he wasn't doing any weird carpet cleaning uh he was doing nor- like laundry like a normal person um he owns a carpet cleaner he didn't have to rent one weirdly like so it's just this thing of like the family's getting involved in saying they saw all this stuff um so it it is a little like well who the fuck knows but right so Remember I said that, oh, Charlotte testifies, the family testifies, the daughters testify. Well, when I say testifying, um, the daughters are initially testifying in front of a grand jury. And Jennifer, what does a grand jury do? They decide if there's something there for a case. Yeah, exactly. So... Before a case goes to court, a grand jury usually will be called to decide if there's enough evidence to go to trial. Like, not if someone will be, it like, guilty or not guilty, but just if there's enough evidence. DAs can take cases to a jury without a grand jury, but it's a big risk, so they normally don't. So, the daughters are testifying in front of a grand jury, and the grand jury does not indict Steve. They're like, no, there's not enough evidence, which is kind of weird but also kind of like okay oh i also forgot another little piece remember i said that there's another piece of evidence that the boyfriend like gets exonerated for yes well one of the things that they find out about kathy when they do the autopsy which steve was like no i don't want you to do an autopsy and her dad was like uh yeah do the autopsy of course um they yeah they find out that she had had sex But the person that she had had sex with had had a vasectomy. Who do you think had had a vasectomy? Uh, totally Steve. Yeah, Steve had had a vasectomy, but her boyfriend had it. Which, the rest of it is all kind of circumstantial a little bit. Like, you know, all these things could be true. You could be mad. You could have all this stuff. But I'm like, ooh, that's hard to not indict. Um, the Vider police, like I said, they didn't even get a, um, search warrant for three years. Uh, again, looking into the Sauter family, um, the police also refused help from the FBI, from the Texas Rangers, 
from the state police, according to one source. Most of the sources, there's quite a few that write about this, but they don't go really in depth. So it's not that I'm skeptical that that's the case. I just want to point out, like, mm, I only saw it once. Yeah, the information is limited. Yeah, the information is limited. Um, Boop, boop, boop. So the theory, and this comes from Southern Fried True Crime, and uh, Georgia mentions it on My Favorite Murder, and it fits, and I love it. So Southern Fried True Crime says that there's always a little, like a good lie has a little bit of truth in it. And so you don't get flustered because you're not lying. You're just sort of stretching the truth. And so this is the theory that it, Kathy didn't have sex with Steve before she left because why would you? You're going to go bone down your non-vasectomy boyfriend. Right. She, she comes home. She's, like, getting ready to, like, shower and go to bed, and Steve confronts her, or maybe she even did shower, comes out in her towel. Steve, like, confronts her about the affair, and she's like, fuck you, or whatever. And so he rapes her, kills her, and then redresses her, like, carries her outside, sets her on the grass for a little bit, which is how she gets the grass on the back of her leg, and then puts her in her car and, like, pushes it into the ditch. Yeah, I mean, that seems like a logical conclusion. Yeah, so this whole time, um, James Fulton, uh, Kathy's father, has these billboards up. And uh, in 2000, and so, yeah, so in 2000, um, the family brings a civil suit against Steve and... Um, actually it wasn't, I don't know if it was the family, it might have been a friend, but there's a civil suit brought against him. Um, the Fulton family is like fully convinced that the police investigation was botched. Uh, oh my God, I can't believe, did I tell you about the camera? No, you sure didn't. Oh my God, I can't believe I forgot about this because this is like the big detail that everybody likes to talk about. Like it's in every single thing. But so the police undoubtedly were stupid and like did things wrong, like. I already told you they didn't get a search warrant. They didn't like bring him in for questioning right away. They like told him what was going on instead of seeing what he said about it. Like all this stuff. But also, I mean, we know this all the way back to like the forties and the fifties. You take pictures of crime scenes, right? Yes. Uh, they took pictures of crime scenes and then there was no film in the camera. So there are no pictures of any of this. What? How? Yeah. How do you do that? Yeah. Yeah, right? Uh, Kathy's mom says that Steve had a scratch on his nose. Uh, Steve's family says, no, he never had a scratch on his nose. We have no idea because they didn't take pictures. Like, you and I have watched so many episodes of Forensic Files. We have seen so many pictures. People take pictures of things and then they're like, well, this probably doesn't matter, but I'm just going to take this picture. And then later they solve the case because it's some damn ass picture. This is insane. Yeah, so this is this thing, like, yeah, the police investigation was absolutely botched. Like, you, like in the Sauter family, right, there's lots of things that they did not do correctly. Um, and Kathy's family thinks that it was on purpose, but it could have just been incompetence. Who knows? But the point is, going back to, like... Also, Clint gets mad at me for when I do that. But I promise you I have this in my notes. I just get excited and forget to go in order. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So uh, they bring a 2000 civil trial for wrongful death. And this is really common. Like pretty much any big criminal case will also have a civil case. It's not unusual. That's where like damages get awarded and things like that. Um, So... They bring this case against him and they win. Whoa. The civil, yeah, the civil court finds him responsible for her death and orders him to pay $150 in damages and it is upheld on appeal. Wow. So that civil case, yeah, so a lot of those quotes and like the information I got about like testimony is from that civil case. You can find it online really easily. Um, But I will say, in a like a civil case and a criminal case the burden of proof is really different like we're all aware of this like in a criminal case you have to convict based on guilt beyond a reasonable doubt right 
but the like in a civil case that you don't have as high of a burden of proof because you're not usually awarding jail time you're awarding like money again money and stuff like that yeah so in a civil trial and this is actually from a people article of all things it says, quote, a jury need only find it more than likely, more likely than not that the defendant is responsible. Jeez. So, yeah. So, like, wrongful death doesn't mean you killed them. It just means that you're responsible. So, like, there are some states where, or I don't know if it's states, probably states, but there are some cases where, like, someone gets really drunk at a bar, at, like, way too drunk. They should have been cut off and they drive home and, like, kill them, like drunk drive into a tree or something and there have been civil cases where the bars get sued obviously those people didn't kill that person but they're ruled responsible for that person's death right but it's still really weird and creepy like um so aside from that it's still unsolved like there's never been a solve for her murder um Steve moved away, like, right away, which I don't blame him. You have, this is a tiny town. You have two daughters. It, honestly, I was like, oh, that's a great move. But as soon as he moved away, uh, he basically abandons his kids. He, quote, everything describes it this way, takes up with a married woman. And his daughters ended up basically living and being raised with his by his parents. Great. I'm sure that's you know exactly what they needed after their you know mother was murdered yeah yeah and the thing that's really sad and it makes sense um but it sounds like um like the daughters immediately became estranged from kathy's family because they saw it as like this attack on their father which makes sense right but their father, by all accounts, once Kathy was dead, like, didn't, wasn't really there. So it's really super sad. Like, I don't know what he was like beforehand, but, I mean, I assume he was a good dad. Um, the older daughter, Erin, um, had apparently said that she really hates the billboards and says that it's more about, like, a sort of pissing contest between James Fulton and her dad. Um, I did, and this is like kind of where all of the podcasts end is this really sad bit, but I found this article that said about this time last year. So October 23rd, 2018, this article comes out that Aaron like saw the three billboards movie and was like, you know what? I've been through a lot. I'm ready to be more involved like with this case and with like what happened to my mom. So she goes to like talk to the current police chief who is not the police chief when all this was going down in 1991 and he's like oh gives her a hug and he gave her her mother's wedding ring and is like hey i'm gonna be presenting you know updated information about this case to the district attorney um and she said quote i don't want it to be my dad i don't want my dad to have killed my mom what i want is the truth which is interesting yeah um i haven't heard anything else about the case so i don't know if Maybe the DA did something, maybe she didn't, but I do want to end um, with the quote, like, I read a bit of this article that I found um, as the way to end this story. It says, Kathy Page wanted to be an inventor, the daughter said. She was crafty. Page recalled that her mother watched infomercials and would exclaim, I had that idea. She bought, craft item she bought items at craft shows, then figured out how to duplicate them. Paige still has the heart-shaped jewelry display that her mom made one year. No. I don't want my mom's legacy to be a billboard about her murder, she said. Paige got her mother's ring resized and wears it now on her thumb. Oh. Yeah. It's really sad and heartbreaking. Um, and that is the story of how Martin McDonough was inspired to write the movie Three Billboards. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. It was just, I see it, and had no context, and then, uh, man, did that open up a whole story. Yeah, it's also, 
it's like this otter one where it's like okay it could be a conspiracy and there's some more details of weird shit that steve says and like other things about the cops that you can definitely hear about like i'm a little skeptical about it being an out and out conspiracy it but yeah man did they ever fuck up mm-hmm. which there's also a go ahead i was just gonna say like the more and more we do this and we talk about um investigations into occurrences and true crime it's just not that shocking anymore. Yeah. It is It is interesting. That's why I like the cases where I talk a lot of times about, like, I think we've done more true crime cases where we're like, the, the cops did everything right. The family did everything right. They notified people right away. Like, and those are even, like, those ones are still unsolved, and that's weird, right? Like, yeah. Um, I don't, the camera thing is really weird. Like, how dumb and nervous do you have to be to, like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's like the Sauter family one, where if you think that her husband did this and totally got away with it because the cops, like, covered shit up, um, that's not very like i don't like the feeling of that but then if you also like think that he's totally innocent that doesn't make sense either it is sort of right in the middle yeah and i guess i know oh go ahead oh i was just gonna say um southern fried true crime is also i know i've been talking about them a lot but it's just delightful but she also talks about how vider was a sundown town do you know what that is a what? A sundown town? No. <laughs> I This is terrifying in a whole nother way, and maybe this should just be its own episode, but a sundown town was, like, in the first part of the 1900s, where if you were a black person in the sunset, they'd just fucking lynch you. What? Yeah, it was like, hey, you can pass through, but keep on passing through. Um, yeah, there's, so she says that Vider has a long history of association with the Ku Klux Klan. Um, the, there was a billboard in the 1960s that said, N-words, don't let the sun set on you and Vider. Wow. In the 70s, Um. (laughs) in the 70s, they canceled a Christmas parade because the Klan entered a float. So that has nothing to do with Kathy dying necessarily, but Vider, the fuck, <laughs> it wasn't integrated until 1993. We have lots of questions for you, Vider. We have so many questions for you, Vider. <laughs> Feel free to come on our show. Yeah, it's weird. Um, yeah. Well. I will also I will also uh, end with one other thing because this is a long episode. But while I was doing research, I found another cra- case that has some weird coincidences to the movie. Um, and this is the case: the mother is Marianne Asher Chapman, and her daughter is very similar to Kathy and to. Um, the woman in the movie. So I was going to tell you about that one, but I think I'll just post it in the Facebook group. So you guys can kind of read that and be like, Oh, weird. That is eerily similar. Um, But yeah, so straight up bummer. I didn't know what we were getting into when we opened up the billboard conversation. (laughs) I know maybe this will have to be like how I always have some sort of like, people mysteriously disappearing episode um every season now every season we have to have some sort of like advertising that will kill you episode (laughs) yeah no joke or post death advertising what advertising post death advertising post death advertising oh my gosh uh, or like, I feel like post death advertising. Never mind. Uh, cut this out. I just thought of post death advertising. It made me think of other things, but 
we're the, I don't the wheels are spinning. The wheels are spinning. The wheels are spinning. So many episodes. Season three. Season a hundred. Since we're cutting all that, I think it's a good time to say, well, Emily, goodbye forever. Goodbye forever. All Things Terror is written, recorded, and produced by two amateurs, Jennifer and Emily. Our sound editor is Clint. Intro music is by Cosimo Fogg. Come chat with us on Twitter at All Things Terror or Instagram at All Things Terror Podcast. Ask nicely and we'll probably send you a really cute sticker. If you like this podcast, tell a friend or write a review. It really helps us and helps more people find us. Goodbye forever. Emily, stop screaming. No, I will never. So we talked about Clint is always like, be better at recording, be more professional, make sure that your mic isn't too hot, which means that you're recording so loud that it buzzes out. And I just realized that I set my levels, which is where it tells you like how loud you are in relation to the mic. I set them okay at the beginning of the podcast, but the reason why it always clips out is because I just get louder. Like, I'm just such a loud person that, uh, but I, I think I fixed it. <laughs> I just artificially put the sound down low. So hopefully that takes care of that problem. Also, um, Emily ruined my cat's night. I did not. I did not. I was all for like, let's reschedule. But Jennifer's like, no, I will harm my own beloved kitten. Yeah. So we, before recording, we're like, should we record? I don't know. What are we going to do? And I was like, well, just let me know because, you know, Emily's phone is dying and all this other bullshit. So I sat down on the couch. your, Your phone was dying too. I'm not... There is no way that I am the only problem child. I will admit I am a problem child, but there are two problem children in this podcast. I don't know. And it's both of us. I don't know what you're talking about. My phone is perfect. And of course, I sit down. I sit down and Ditches comes crawling into my lap. And then Emily's like, okay, let's record. And Ditches is like, but mom, it's been so long since I've seen you. And I was like, no, 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 Ditches. You can't have oh pets. You can't have pets at all. Emily and I have to record a podcast. The drama. <laughs> the drama of this is insane and absolutely false. Uh, I will say I recently had some people over to my house for the first time. Uh, I had a craft night. <laughs> so if you of ever course wondered- you did. Yeah, what kind of human I am. That's that's the type of human I am. Um, so I had a craft night and one of the girls who I've actually been friends with for a long time but she'd never been to my house, like texted me later and was like, Oh, thanks so much. That was so much fun. And your house is so cute. So much cat paraphernalia. <laughs> and I was like, Yeah, the cats clearly run this house, uh and are the ones in charge, not me. <laughs> So, point, checkmate, I would never disturb ditches, despite her betrayal of me. TBH, this is what actually happened. Well, my phone's at 35%, me. Yeah, my phone's kind of like low too. All right, let's take 10 minutes to charge our phones and then we we can record. And then Emily's like, I think I- My neighbor dogs were like, arf, 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 and that's- Literally the frequency with which they bark, and they do this 
when my neighbor is not home and he's usually home. But if he leaves for like one hour or two hours or whatever, that happens. So I was like, great, this is going to be terrible. But And then and then she's like, give me 15. And I'm like, cool. And then it was, okay, I think we'll be okay. And then it was like, well, did just, just got in my lap. And then Emily's like, does that mean she's going to be a co-star or that you can't get to your equipment? And I said, I can't get up. And she goes, that's totally cool. I understand. We can record on Sunday. <laughs> See, once again, the cats are the ones really in charge of me. But my story was better. My cat, Rue, this little black queen, uh, will climb onto my lap when I am wearing shorts and start making biscuits. And she has the sharpest goddamn nails on earth. And instead of, like, making her get off my lap or being like, no, Rue, I just, like wince and take it and i'm like yes i love you too like i will have scrap like visible scratches on my leg the next day and i'm just like look she loves me (laughs) so yeah of course i was like yeah we can reschedule i get it i get it cats on your lap uh everything else stops i did make ditches get up and for for the record i videotape the entire ordeal to try to make emily feel guilty I mean, and then listen, sent it to her. I, I am an Irish Catholic. Of course, it made me feel guilty. Like, I, I mean, like, if I have children, my children's children, children will still feel guilty over this. <laughs> it's just, it's low hanging fruit. It's not hard. <laughs> and yet, it's so much fun. Yeah, I, you know, I don't even begrudge you that. I totally understand. So that's us. We're terrible people. 